Make a joyful noise. Hallelujah. All ye lands. Hallelujah. Somebody serve the Lord with some gladness right now. Hallelujah. Praise God. I find in the Old Testament on one occasion the Lord told Israel, he said, because you served me not with gladness. He said, I'm going to let you go back to your bondage. I'm going to let you go back to your servitude. Amen. I'd rather just go ahead and serve God with some gladness. I'm happy to be where I am tonight. I'm happy to be in the church. I'm happy to be in truth. Anybody glad? So glad. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. It is indeed an honor to be here tonight and uh, to also have the privilege of ministering in this pulpit once again. I want to give honor to all the brethren that are here, all of my fellow ministers, to those brethren that will follow me in this conference. I, uh, I have prayed for you, and I believe that God is going to use each man to speak explicitly, clearly to the church. I believe we're going to hear a clear note and a certain sound every time that every preacher gets in this pulpit to preach. Amen. I do believe that. Hallelujah. Very happy to have my wife with me. I love her very dearly. And uh, she is, I think she was born with the Holy Ghost. She was like John the Baptist. At least that's what all of her brothers and sisters think. That, and I feel that way myself. But uh, we have known each other all of our lives. Uh, her parents took my parents to church for the very first time when my mother and dad got married and my dad got under conviction and wanted to go to church. It was her dad and mother that came down and, and picked my mother and dad up and took them to church as a married couple for the very first time. Her dad baptized my dad. Amen. And so we've known each other all of our lives, and uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. Amen. And I'm glad to have my son here tonight. He is my favorite son. He is my favorite pastor. He is my favorite sound tech. Amen. God bless you, son. Happy to have you here this week. Mark chapter 5, verse number 1. I know you've been standing for a while. I have too. I'll be the last man standing. And so, Mark chapter 5, verse 1, it's a rather lengthy reading. It has been quite some time since I have addressed these verses on this wise, but I felt very, very strongly in the Holy Ghost to bring this to this conference floor. Verse 1, and they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains and the chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces and neither could any man tame him. Always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him and cried with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? 
I adjure you by God that you torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And they that saw it told, him, told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. And everybody shout amen. amen. One more time, clap your hands and give him praise. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank God. God bless you. You can be seated tonight. Amen. And everybody say thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Please, don't, don't just get too relaxed. I am convinced tonight that there are two manners in which God works. I believe that God at times will do a sovereign work, and then I believe that there are other times that he responds to the cry or to the need of his people. I find in 2 Chronicles 7 and 14, he talked about how that if there's no rain and the locusts devour the land and there's pestilence among my people, he said, if my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. God responds to your prayer. God responds when you cry out. I have, there are many examples in scripture, but a couple of notable examples in the New Testament was when the woman of Canaan came to Jesus and the Bible said that she cried out to Jesus and said, I have a daughter who is grievously vexed with a devil. And before that she left the presence of Jesus, she had a promise that your daughter has been made whole and she has been delivered. We find another example that's used so often, Luke chapter 18, where Bartimaeus, the blind man, sitting by the highway begging, that when he found that Jesus was passing by, he cried out with a loud voice, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. I don't know how you feel about it tonight, but I am truly thankful that no matter where we find ourselves and what state that we find ourselves in, that when we begin to cry out to God, God will respond to the cry of his church. 
You need the Holy Ghost? Cry out to him. You need healing? Cry out to him. You need deliverance? Cry out to him. You need revival? Cry out to him. Amen. Along with that, I believe that God works at times in a sovereign manner. He works out of his will. He determines what he wants to do and then he orchestrates events to accomplish exactly what he has determined he is going to do. Isaiah 43 and 13, he said, yea, before the day was I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? And of course, we understand that that word let there doesn't mean who will allow, but who will hinder it. Amen. So the Lord is saying, I establish at times my sovereign will, and I am going to fulfill my will. I will accomplish what I have planned. I believe he works in that sovereign manner. I believe that there, though, is where our struggle lies. When we're in need, we know that we are in need, and we know exactly what we need to do and that is to cry out to God. When we need God to work for us because of our circumstances, we pray and we are expecting God to respond to our cry. However, when God desires to do a sovereign work, it requires a higher level of spiritual sensitivity to recognize what God is doing. When God wants to move by his spirit, and do great things, sometimes we don't even recognize that we need what God is about to do. Sometimes we don't understand, we don't comprehend that this is a work of the Spirit, that this is something that God has ordained, and it takes a spiritual sensitivity. We've got to be in tune with the Holy Ghost. We have got to be in a time of prayer and supplication so that when God begins to work and operate according to his will, we're able to say like Mary, be it unto me according to your word. I want it to happen according to your will. There are examples in scripture of this. Whenever Jesus was born, eight days of age, the Bible tells us that Mary and Joseph brought him to the temple. And the scripture said that there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed to him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death until or before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. Simeon did not show up by coincidence. It was not by chance that he was in the house of worship, but he was there because the Spirit was leading him. There was something provoking him. You need to get to the house of God. You need to get to the temple. There's something unique and special that's gonna happen in that place. I need you in place at the time that it's gonna happen. 
Hallelujah. Where was Simeon when Jesus showed up? He was where the Holy Ghost led him to be. He was where the Spirit was directing him. Same chapter of Luke chapter 2, there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was a of great age. The Bible tells us that she had been a widow for 84 years who departed not from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks and likewise confirmed that this child was the one that was going to be used to bring a great shaking in the world. What I'm trying to tell you is that when I read in scripture about people that somehow keyed in, somehow they understood, they recognized that God is about to do something, that a work is about to be accomplished and they weren't sitting on the side of the road. They were not complacent or lethargic. They didn't have a Laodicean attitude but there was something in their spirit that said if you're about to do something great, I want to be counted in on whatever you're doing. Oh, hallelujah. Count me in. Sometimes God allows extenuating circumstances to be such that we cry out for deliverance not even realizing that we're about to be involved in the sovereign work of God. That's the case of the children of Israel. They were crying out, and because of their cry, the Lord remembered his covenant. He remembered his promise. He remembered the prophetic utterance to Abraham, and the Lord said, the time is now. The hour is now, and I'm ready to work. And Israel engaged in the great exodus out of the land of bondage. But then we see Daniel, who understood, according to Daniel 2, a 9, and two and three. He said in the first year of this reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And then hear what Daniel said. I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Here is a man that understood the word of God. He got an insight into the fact and started counting the years and said, surely we're at the end of that 70 years. And something rose up in the heart of Daniel. And Daniel said, if there's about to be a return, if there's about to be a revival, if there's about to be something magnificent happening, Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. If, there, if there's about to be a fulfillment, he said, I'm going to commit myself because I don't want to be left out. Don't leave me out. I don't know how you feel tonight, but if God's about to do something in 2018, don't leave me out. 
Amen. I'm sorry, you're not looking at a preacher tonight that believes that we just all need to kind of hold on and hold out. Hallelujah. That we need to, to, to bar up the windows and, and hold on to what we've got. Amen. If we're at where we're revival and where people are concerned, that's not my desire. That's not the hunger of my heart. But something inside says, I gotta believe that there's something even greater, more magnificent, more powerful, more glorious. Hallelujah. And we're not going to tag into it. We're not going to tap into it if we're playing games and that we're just fooling around. We're serving God. If we want it, we can have it. Amen. If we're not careful, we can be in such a state of mind that we fail to realize that there's a great spiritual work at hand. Consequently, rather than seizing the moment, we lose the moment. And I don't believe it's the will of God that we lose the moment. I am persuaded, Pastor Mayo, that last year at Summit 2017, that a very unique and a very special work was done in this sanctuary. I really do believe that. I watched it throughout the course of the conference. And then on the last night when the Holy Ghost began to confirm and the testimony was this, that people said we saw things that we have never seen in our experience in God. Right here in these altars. I've come back this year to kick this meeting off to say we need to take up from where we left off last year. And understand that that wasn't a coincidence. That wasn't a fluke. That wasn't something that just happened by chance. But it was a divinely orchestrated touch of God. And I don't care what the Northwest has been. It doesn't have to be what it used to be. It doesn't have to be what it has been. Praise the Lord. So I'm convinced tonight by our scripture text that it's the case of the demoniac in Gadara. Jesus is there because of his own design. I find no place where anybody cried out to him. I find no place where word was sent for Jesus to come to Gadara. I believe he was in Gadara because he wanted to be there. And because he had a plan, he had an intent, and that was to do a great work in Gadara. And whenever he passed over the sea and stepped off the boat, 
a man who was possessed with a legion of devils that they had tried to shackle and they had tried to chain and they had tried to bring into bondage. That man met him and fell at the feet of Jesus and the word of God said, worship him. I know you've heard it before, but I'm going to say it again here tonight. If a man with 6,000 devils could pick up on something. If a man with 6,000 devils couldn't be stopped. Bless your heart, the church of the living God with the power, with the anointing, with the truth ought not to be stopped. Always night and day, crying, screaming in the tombs and in the mountains. The Bible said no man could tame him. It was a sad state of affairs. And when Jesus showed up, I read you, and I'm not going to go back and reread it, but I read you where that he cast the legion of devils out of him, went into a herd of swine, and they ran into the sea and were destroyed. But the Bible tells us that the city, the village, everybody in the area ran out to where all of this was taking place. And when they come to Jesus and they see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, they were afraid. And they, they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil. And also concerning the swine, and they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. Now here's the sad thing about this story. Jesus shows up. A supernatural work is done. A mighty miracle takes place. And a man who was bound has been delivered, and he's in his right mind, and he's clothed. But those that came and observed what was going on, they decided, we don't want Jesus around. They prayed to de for him to depart out of their coast. And when I looked at that, I had to ask myself the question, why? And when I began to look a little closer, I felt that there were some things here that you and I could take a, a lesson from. And that is the fact that here is a people, here is a village, a countryside that has become so familiar to the demoniac and his antics that they preferred the demon to the demonstration of the power of deliverance. They had become familiar to what it took to deal with the situation. In fact, they were so familiar with it that they couldn't wrap their minds around the fact that God had another way to deal with it. They were familiar with his cries in the nighttime. They were familiar with trying to bind him with fetters and chains only to see him break free of them. They came to realize that this was not a situation that could be conquered. So what we're going to have to do is just learn how to live with it.
While among the people, there was a man who was bound by demons. They had become bound by the familiarity of his condition. And as a consequence, they were in bondage to the familiar. And that's what I want to preach a few minutes here tonight, the bondage of the familiar. Because I am convinced that if there's anything that stands in the way of us seeing God do the miraculous, it's the fact that we are in bondage to the familiar. There's some things we've just learned to live with. There's some things we've decided there's no conquering that. There's no getting over that. I got news for you, friend. Oh, hallelujah. There's victory over complacency. There's victory over a Laodicean spirit. There's victory over a dead church. There's victory. You hear me tonight. There's victory. We can sit around thinking, I got to live with this the rest of my life. I got to contend with some of these demons I've been fighting all my life. You can sit around and, and become familiar with how you're coping and how you're handling and how that you're dealing with that kind of situation. Or you can back up and say, okay, Jesus, it's about time. I'm sick of being in bondage to the familiar problems, the familiar trouble. The familiar. Amen. Some of us have learned how to cope with some stuff that we don't have to cope with. Amen. All night. He's, he's screaming. They, they become familiar with the cries in the nighttime. Moms have become familiar with waking up to babies crying and reaching over and, and patting them and saying, it's going to be okay, baby. He's not going to get to us. Everything will be all right. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of patting babies and tell them that it's going to be all right. Amen. It's time to have the miraculous. Huh? I'm asking myself the question, and I'm asking you the question tonight. How many more miracles could have been done in Gadara? How many more great works could have been done in Gadara if they had not been in bondage to the familiar? I don't want just a miracle here and a miracle there. I don't want some great church service once a month. I don't want something powerful just every now and then. I believe it's the will of God that the Holy Ghost shake the house, turn this place upside down.
Jesus went in the temple of God, Bible said he cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple. And he overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said to them, it's written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful works of the things that he did, the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased and said, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said, yeah, have you never read out of the, babe, the mouth of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. Now, as near as I'm able to understand, because I, I, don't, I don't have, well, let me just tell you how I've read it. I, I, I tried to get a little handle on what was going on in the temple. And what appears was going on is that they would come and bring their sacrifice to the temple. And when they get to the door of the temple, there'd be a priest at the door. And he would check the sacrifice because the priest always had to determine whether the sacrifice was acceptable or not. And so he would check the sacrifice and he would say, well, this sacrifice is not good enough. So you're gonna have to go over there to that table and sell your, 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 your animal, your sacrifice to that table over there. And when you get the money over there, then you gotta take that money over here to this table, to the, to the money changer's table. Because the money you get over there can't be used in the temple. So go over there and sell and then come over here and change your money. And then go over here to this table and buy you an acceptable sacrifice. The problem is Jesus called it a den of thieves. And the reason it was a den of thieves is because that first of all, they were being lied to at the door. They were being deceived at the door about their acceptable sacrifice. And when they took it over to this table, they, were, they, were, they sold it and they were not given the full value of that, of that animal. Then when they would take the money and go to the money changer's table, they wouldn't get the full value in exchange. It'd be shortchanged over here. And then when they go back to this table, sometimes they would even purchase the same animal back that they had sold or had to, had, was turned down at the door of the temple. Help, Lord. You know what my, my concern is? How long has this been going on? How long has this been taking place? How many, how many people came to church and just figured this is the way it's supposed to be? It had been going on so long they were just familiar. This is the way church ought to be. And it's a disgrace in our world today that the religious world has what they call church. But at every step of the way, they're being shortchanged. Every step of the way, they're not being told the truth. And the problem is people are accepting that as well, that's just normal. That's, they're familiar. This is, the way that, this is the way we're supposed to have church. Whoo, hallelujah. I just got to tell you, friend, three songs, a testimony service, and a little sermonette. Sometimes it's not what God wants. Well, tell you what, I really believe in the hour that we're in. This thing's got to get turned upside down. 
to see some things happen that, that destroys the paradigm that people are living with where church is concerned. If the book of Acts said they that turned the world upside down has showed up here, we're still that same church. We're still those same people. Praise the Lord. And so whenever he cleansed the temple, notice what he was endeavoring to do. He was restoring the temple to its original purpose. When he kicked out the thieves, when he turned over the money changers table, ran out them that bought and sold in that house, he said this, he said, it's written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. He was restoring the house of God back to its original purpose. And if we're going to see more than just familiar church, we got to restore this thing back to what it originally started on. It was a praying church in the beginning. It was a worshiping church in the beginning. Hallelujah. When they were persecuted, whenever they were beaten, what did they do? They went right back to their own company and they prayed. They prayed and the Holy Ghost shook the house. Amen. I don't think church, help me Jesus. Hallelujah. I don't think church ought to be predictable. Huh? I say it ought not to be predictable. When we walk in the house, it ought to be unpredictable. The Holy Ghost wants to move in and shake the house and fill Tim with the Holy Ghost before we ever sing one song. We ought to be saying, come on, Jesus. Deliver us from the bondage of the familiar. <laughs> Amen. And whenever he cleansed the house, when he brought it back to its original purpose, what happened? First of all, the blind, the blind and the lame were healed. Miracles began to take place because there was a restoration. There was a deliverance from the familiar. There was a deliverance from the norm. And there was a restoration of what the purpose of the house was. And when it was restored, healings took place. Miracles took place. Sit down. And then Jesus, when those guys that were there were upset, you know why they were upset? 
because their familiar church was tore up. Their familiarity, their bondage. Jesus walked in and started kicking tables over. Amen. I'm not opposed to a preacher getting in the pulpit and whenever he senses that there's a few things going on that's hindering. I'm not opposed to a man of God getting in the pulpit and turning tables over. Because I'm going to tell you, there's some folks that's made the church a playhouse. And it's not a playhouse. It's a house of prayer. It's a house of revival. Come on now, hallelujah. There's some things stealing our victory. There's some stuff thieving all among us. Oh, help me, Jesus. Hallelujah. Uh, help me, Jesus. I want to be right. I want to be careful. But I'm just going to tell you right now, here and now, social media is going to destroy many a church in the apostolic movement because we got more folks spending more time on social media, finding what everybody else is doing, and they don't have an idea what God is doing. Come on, you can sit down if you want. That don't matter to me. I know what I'm watching. I know what I'm seeing. We got young people so wrapped up in that. They're so bound by that that when they come to the house of God, oh, help me, Lord. Hallelujah. I said they get to the house of God and they can't even go through one service without stealing a look at their social media account to find out what's going on since they've been in church. Huh? And you thought you were living a secret life on Facebook? You already been reading the past few days. They know every single thing you've ever done, ever said, have ever contact. I read some stuff today or yesterday about what they've been doing, and it absolutely shocks me. But yet we've been we've been brought into bondage to some of this stuff, and it's created an atmosphere where we are more a social church than a praying church. Praise the Lord. I'm probably going to be misjudged right about now, but I don't know what I can do about it. We're not a social church. This church is not a, we're not, we're, we're not having social programs. We're not going to save them by social programs. If you can feed the poor, feed the poor. 
If you can help the destitute, help the destitute. We have Bible for that. But for heaven's sakes, don't let your good works somehow circumvent the reality of what we are and who we are. Because the only thing that's going to save anybody is the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. It must, it must be preached. It must be believed. It must be practiced. Amen. One more thing and I'm moving on. But the Bible said the children, the children came in the temple and they were crying, Hosanna to the son of David. The children got involved. Amen. Now let me just tell you tonight that we're an apostolic church and thank God we are. Huh? And we're doing everything we can to reach our world. And thank God we are. But if we reach our world to the loss of our children, we've not done anything. Well, it got quiet. Let me explain to you what I'm talking about. You can be seated. Amen. Help me, Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I sure need you tonight. But, but our children are raised up in this. Our children sit on our pew service after service, week after week, month after month. They hear the same songs. They know the lyrics by heart. They've heard the same music. Amen. And, and, and they're not as affected by that as a sinner who walks in the door that the only thing he's been doing is crying in his beer, sitting on a bar stool, wondering what his life is going to be tomorrow. When they walk in here and they hear the music and they hear the song and they see the words on the overhead, there, there's something about it. It stirs them. They're challenged by that. Tears begin to flow down their faces because they're so hungry and they're so desperate that just a little song can move them to repentance. But our children hear it service after service and week after week and month. You know what moves our children? I'll tell you what moves our children when supernatural power begins to operate. When supernatural power begins to flow. We're not going to keep our children because we got standards and because we got guidelines and thank God for those things. But we're going to keep them because they realize there's something powerful here. There's something real in this place. There's something great. There's something glorious. Familiar church is not going to keep them here. Familiar church is not going to keep them on the pew. Holy Ghost church will. I said Holy Ghost church will. 
when Jesus walks in and starts kicking over money changers table and running out those that buy and sell and starts working miracles, our children are going to start crying, Hosanna! I refuse to be in bondage to the familiar. I don't want to go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Tuesday night, or Wednesday night, midweek service, and by the time I've been there a week, I can already determine exactly how they're going to have church. I want to walk in saying, what's God going to do tonight? Who's going to get the Holy Ghost tonight? Who's going to get delivered tonight? Who's going to get set free tonight? So Jesus goes back to his own country and he's teaching in the synagogue in so much that they were astonished. And they said, where does this man get his wisdom? And these mighty works, they heard his wisdom and they saw his works. They said, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then has this man all these things? And they were offended in him. And Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Where did their unbelief come from? Their unbelief come from the fact that they couldn't get past his flesh. When they looked at Jesus, they said, that's just Joe's boy. When they looked at Jesus, they said, we know who his brothers are. We know who his sisters, we even know who his Mary, his mother is, Mary. We know who his mama is. They could not get past his flesh. Same as the rest of the Jews that whenever Jesus talked about who he was, they said, you're not even 50 years old. And you know Abraham? He said, before Abraham was I am. And the word of the Lord tells us they were upset because he being man made himself God. I'm sorry, they had it all backward. Being man made God. That's what they thought. But that wasn't no, because the only thing they could see was the man. They didn't realize that who he was, that he was God who made himself man. They were so familiar with the flesh of Jesus Christ. They were so familiar with his family and his upbringing and where he did, what he lived, where he lived and all the things that went along with that that whenever they saw him, the only thing they could see was flesh. They could not look past that and see miraculous power. They could not look past that and see the wisdom of God upon him. They could not look past his flesh. Incredible preaching. Incredible preaching. 
And I'm just going to tell you that one of our major obstacles in the church is we're so familiar with flesh, sometimes we can't get past it. Huh? I said, we're so familiar with flesh, we can't get beyond flesh. We get enamored with all the wrong things. We come to church, and if our favorite song leader's not leading singing, we can't get with it. We come to church, and if our favorite musician isn't playing, we can't get with it. We come, and if our favorite choir song is not being sung, I'm sorry, we can't get with it. I'm about to make some folks upset, but I'm going to say it anyway. I heard somebody say in a conference not many, well, it's been a number, quite a few months ago now, somewhere between here and yonder. Amen. Guess. But I heard somebody say in the pulpit, said, bless God, we're apostolic. We still sing out the songbook. I got news for you, friend. You're not apostolic because you sing out the songbook. That ain't what makes you apostolic. Do I have a problem with a songbook? No, not really. <laughs> Unless that's the only thing you're so familiar with, that's the only way you can have church. The Bible said that a, that a wise householder, a good householder, he brings out of his treasures both new and old. So there ain't nothing wrong with amazing grace, but there's not anything wrong with what we heard sung here tonight either. It's not, God help me, Jesus. Well, praise the Lord. I'm not going to that conference this year because my favorite preacher's not preaching. You know what your problem is? You've got enamored with flesh. You're in bondage to the familiar. I got news for you. When an alcoholic comes walking in that door, he don't care who the pastor is. He don't care who the song leader is. He doesn't care who's leading the choir. He only wants to know one thing. Is there Jesus in the house? Is there deliverance in the house? <laughs> Woo! Yes! How many years he's preached? Whether he says everything right, all he wants to know is, I want to hear something that tells me there's a way out. I can be delivered. Something can happen in my life that will change me forever. Amen. Sometime we come to church and we see somebody up here shouting and dancing. And, and we were with them last week. 
and we know what they said and we know what they did. And our praise gets locked down because all we can see is what they did that we saw. You are in bondage to their flesh. You are in bondage to what you're familiar with. And as a result, you don't get any liberty. You don't get any help. Did you ever think, did you ever realize that somewhere between last week and the night you see them shouting, they may have found an altar of repentance. They may have found a place to pray. They may have got a hold of God and got it right with God. Praise the Lord. I don't want to get so familiar with flesh. I have friends. I have friends. I want to tell you, please forgive me tonight for using myself as an example, but I cherish this business called preaching. I cherish this thing called the Word of God. I cherish this thing called the ministry. Amen. And forgive me right now if I step out too far, but I get cold chills when I hear men start making light of what a man preached. If what the man preached becomes a joke around the fellowship table, we got a problem. Our problem is we've got so familiar with flesh that we don't let the word touch us. We don't, we don't my God, help me Jesus. We don't let the sanctity of the word remain in its sanctified position, but we lower it to our flesh. He did not many mighty miracles. Sometimes, you know, in fact, you read it in your Bible. Read in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those, those, those are the ones that give us the account. The only time that Jesus ever showed anger was in the house of worship. And he showed it because of their unbelief. And he did no mighty miracles in his hometown because they couldn't get past his flesh. And sometimes we don't see the miraculous because the only thing we're looking at is flesh. All we see is the man. All we see is the personality. Oh, God help us. Hallelujah. We've got to get past that. We've got to start seeing this as what God, God has anointed and God has ordained that he chose by the foolishness of preaching to save them that would believe. And he's going to save those that believe, not just those that are, have never believed, but those who have already believed and been saved. He's going to keep you saved by preaching. Come on, we get focused on the wrong stuff. We get to look at the wrong thing. What would happen if we just came in and put blinders on and say, God, I don't care who's here. I don't care what they've done. It doesn't matter who's leading. I don't care who's singing. I don't care who's preaching. It doesn't matter to me. I don't look for the preacher to pull a rabbit out of the hat. I'm not looking for something magnificent. Just talk to me. I want to have revival in my heart. I want to see this church have revival.
Amen. I'm almost done. You can be seated. I'm, I'm, I'm close. I, 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 I hope I'm not preaching too long. Amen. I'm coming back to my thought here in just a minute, but I'm just going to tell you Northwest. You can go right back to having familiar church. You can go right back after what God did last year. You can go back to having familiar church or you can decide, you know what? I'm sick of this. I'm tired of familiar church. I'm tired of being able to predict everything that's going to happen. I'm tired. I'm, I'm weary with this. I want something to happen that shakes my city. I want something to happen that turns my world upside down. Amen. In fact, I'm going to read you one of the places where he got angry. He went into synagogue. And there was a man that had a withered hand. And they watched him. They watched him. Whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. Come on, give me a break. Somebody needs to get a life. Huh? The only reason why they went to church there that day was to be able to accuse Jesus Christ. I don't know why some folks go to church sometimes. Because it looked, forgive me, I know I'm coming over like a bulldozer tonight. But forgive me, sometimes folks come that the only reason they come is because they want to find fault. They want to make an accusation. They want to see something happen that they can justify why that they don't worship and why they don't sing and why they don't pray and why they don't get involved in the work of the kingdom. Amen. Amen. Forgive me, but I've known of men that went to conferences just so they could find fault with who was preaching. Well, hallelujah. I'm probably walking where angels fear to tread right now, but that's all right. Amen. Jesus said, he didn't just say be careful what you hear. He said be careful how you hear. Because sometimes we sit there listening and, and looking for an opportunity to find fault with what's being preached. Find fault with what's being said. And trying to figure out what the motive of the man is. If he's got an agenda or not. And what he's trying to accomplish when well, he ought to be saying, God, if there's ever a time we need the Holy Ghost to help us, would you use the man of God to preach to us? They watched him whether he would heal on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. So what was the problem here? They had a familiar way of doing things. They had a Sabbath day, and that Sabbath day determined how everything was going to be done, and it had been done like this for how many years? Huh? Jesus, when he stood up in Luke chapter 4 and read in the synagogue, he said to them, he said, um, he, he looked for the place where it was written by the, by the prophet Isaiah, and, and he read it. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the, the, the blind. He, he went down the list, sir. all of the things that he said that he was going to do, o open up the prison and, 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 and set the captive free, all that stuff he was going to do. 
he was reading it. And, and the scripture tells us that just prior to that, that he went to the synagogue as was his custom and stood up for it to read. But that day when he stood up, he read a different text and said, now I know what I've been doing in the past and I know what, I know what the familiar way of doing things around here is. And I know that, that this has been the custom of mine to show up at the synagogue, but I just come to tell you that from this day forward, everything's gonna change. From this day forward, the blind are gonna see. The lame are gonna walk. The prison doors are gonna be open. There's gonna be deliverance to the captives. Some of us need to go back home and say, I know it has, I know the way it has been, but from this day forward, it's gonna change. We're not just gonna have familiar church anymore. And so Jesus looked at the man with a withered hand because I wanna tell you right now, Jesus don't care what you think, how you think, he doesn't care what your attitude is. He doesn't care what kind of spirit you are of. He's going to do his work just the way he wants to do his work. Huh? I said he's going to work and who shall let it? He said to the withered man with the withered hand, stand forth. He looked at the crowd and said, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill it? They had the peace. They couldn't talk. They couldn't say anything. And when he looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their heart. Amen. Some of us apostolics do well to get a softened heart so the Holy Ghost can touch us every time we come in that sanctuary. Forgive me, I am not belittling anyone here tonight. I'm telling you, I understand people get hurt. I understand that people go through tough times. I understand that things are done wrong. There are people that are injured in their spirit. I understand that, but the last thing that we need to do is come with a hardened heart that says, I'm not gonna be open. I'm not gonna be receptive. I'm gonna reject. I'm gonna find fault with everything. I'm here, but I'm not gonna let him in. You gotta let that heart get soft and say, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. It doesn't matter how many times I've been hurt. I want you to heal me again. It doesn't matter how many times I've been having had things said to me that shouldn't have been said. I still want to live for you. And so... They looked round about. He looked round about on them with anger. They was grieved because of the hardness of their heart. He said, stretch forth your hand. He stretched it out. And the word of God said, his hand was restored whole as the other. When Jesus went to church that day, when Jesus went to the house of worship that day, he went with an agenda in mind. We're not going to have familiar church today. Somebody's going to go home with a healing. Somebody's going to go home with a miracle. Here's a man with a handicap that would have went home with his handicap if Jesus had not said, in the face of all the unbelief, stand up. And unfortunately, we have people that go home with handicaps 
that don't have to go home with handicaps because they can't. We can't get past the flesh. We can't get past our unbelief. Oh, hallelujah. You've got to come to a point where you say, God, my deliverance, my deliverance is more important to me than the embarrassment of putting out my handicap, of stretching forth my handicap. My help is more important to me than hiding, than hiding my handicap. He can remain standing. And the Pharisees went forth. And straightway they took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Amen. You know, I look at this crowd here tonight and I see some young men here. First of all, let me tell you, I've, I've been doing what I've been doing now for a little, about four, five and a half years, I guess it is. And I've been blessed to preach in 135 different pulpits in the past five years. And many of them I've been back to two and three times, four times. Some one night, some nine weeks. And I'm seeing something. I don't have a horror story to tell you. But what I'm seeing is another generation of preachers rising up. I'm seeing a younger generation of preachers rise up. And I'm going to tell you right now, they got a fan in Wade Bass. And they got a supporter in Wade Bass. Because we're seeing a young generation rise up that's got this thing by They've, they've got this thing by the nap of the neck. And they're saying, I'm going to get this. I'm going to have this. We're going to see revival. We're going to see a breakthrough. We're tired of familiar church. We're tired of the same old, same old. We want a Holy Ghost breakthrough. Huh? Amen. I'm looking at some young men right here, Brother Cox, Brother Buxton, Brother Harris, Brother, oh, hallelujah, Brother Hood, and, 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 and these other young men, Brother, Brother Holland. I'm seeing others that are, that are scattered out through here, and I see the representation of another generation. I'm going to tell you right now, these boys are not sitting on the sidelines saying, oh, tell us about the old days. Tell us about what used to be. No, they want somebody to tell them what can happen right now. What can happen in their ministry? What can happen in their time? <laughs> Fellows, I'm going to tell you what you got to do. Fight familiar church. Fight dead church. Fight it. I said fight it. Don't let the church get down, bogged down into nothing more than traditionalism. Amen. 
I don't think I need to qualify myself, but if I need to qualify myself tonight, I am not talking about our familiarity or our understanding or our revelation of doctrine and separation. Amen. The oneness of God. Baptism, that's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about getting to a place where that we accept that church is just going to be something that somehow we make it through and that there's nothing really mighty or powerful that's really going to take place. Amen. I was with Brother Joel Buxton over in Africa, Brother Aston's church, and on Sunday morning, we had 17 received the gift of the Holy Ghost in one Sunday morning service. Don't tell me that God can only do that in Kenya. Don't tell me that God cannot do that in the Northwest. Praise the Lord. Just this past Sunday morning in Lafayette, Louisiana, we had four brand new ones get the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name. Come on, you're, you've come too late to tell me that this thing has passed us and that we're not gonna see it happen again. God, God, I'm gonna tell you, God is sick of familiar church. God is fed up with our familiar attitude with flesh. We need to come out of where we are and say it's over. I'm kicking some tables over tonight. I'm running some money changers out. I'm getting rid of some thieves. Oh, hallelujah. From tonight forward, whoo, hallelujah. Get ready. The blind's gonna receive their sight. The dead are gonna be raised. Captives are gonna be set free. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Come on, some of you young men, I want y'all up here to help me right now. I'm almost done. Come on, get up here behind me. Hallelujah. Come on up. Come on up, Brother Bray. Come on, Brother Holland. Some, come on, some of y'all. Some of y'all, come on up. Amen. Wait a minute. You're not young. Don't you try to get up here, Brother Towley. <laughs> Hallelujah. How old are you, 36? Yeah, you wish. Any more young preachers? Come on, Brother Austin. Brother Austin Garrett. Hallelujah. Somebody shout praise the Lord. Come on up here, Brother, Brother Haddon. Come on, you can come on up here if you want to. Amen. Lord, I feel Holy Ghost in this house. Come on, look at this. I said, look what God, look what God has to work with. We got some Davids on this platform. We've got some Jehus on this platform. Woo! Hallelujah. You got a job, church. Don't make these men slog through familiar church. Don't make them slog through just going through the motions. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
I am fed up. I said, I'm, excuse me, Lord, help me, Jesus. Amen. I'm fed up with the attitude that the next generation of preachers are going charismatic and they're turning loose of the standards and they're no longer preaching the truth of God's word. I'm tired of hearing that. I'm sick of it. I'm telling you, God's got a generation all over this nation and around the world. He's got a generation that says, come on, we're going to do this. It's 2018. It's the millennial generation. But it's time for millennials to get away from Facebook. Get away from your social media. Get away from that stuff that's bound you down. And say, give me revival. Give me Holy Ghost. Break this thing loose. I'm done. What are you going to do about it? I said, I'm finished. What are you going to do about it? What about a generation? Are you ready for these preachers? Are you ready with the next generation of preachers to say, I'm ready? Come on, let's break through it. Let's break through it. Let's break through it. somebody here tonight that you've been coping with a familiar spirit you've been coping with familiar problems oh fellas I need your help there they are there they are let's go help them break through and find out what church that's not familiar is about that's it come on break through gotta have a breakthrough Come on, what about everybody else in the audience? Worship.